It's all right. Hebrews chapter 11. If you would, let's stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able to. And we'll uh, pick up uh, where, we, where we left off of this Bible study last week. Look at verse number 32. And we'll read down through verse number 35. It says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Verse 33, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. We're going to look at uh, verse 33 and 34, and at some point we'll get to the first part of 35, and we're talking about faith's examples And we're looking here at faith's power on display. The power that faith displays. At times, it wows. At times, it amazes. And we're going to look at some more examples of that this evening. Let's pray. Lord, help us to have our faith strengthened this evening. Help us, Lord, to um, determine that as the night grows darker and as the world grows more wicked... And as being a Christian becomes less and less fashionable in this country, Lord, instead of dimming our light, we're going to make it brighter. Knowing that we'll need faith to sustain. Knowing that we'll need faith to march forward. Knowing that we'll need faith to endure. Lord, now is the time for us to determine we're going to walk by faith and not by sight. And so as we look back over our shoulders, Lord, at people in the Bible who walk by faith through some treacherous times, may we take hope to do just the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, if you have been watching um, what's going on in the world around us today, you know that there is an all-out assault on Christianity. There is an all-out assault on the nuclear family. And they are coming after the concept of one man, one woman for life. Uh, We are redefining marriage and being called a bigot if you don't totally accept and embrace uh, how they define marriage. Forget how God defines it. You have to accept how they define it. And uh, you, uh, uh, if you uh, are raised in a home with a mom and a dad, uh, then, uh, you know, that's, that's not necessarily a good thing anymore. And the night is getting darker. And Christians, we need our faith to be stronger. You know, sometimes all it takes in order to be a, a hero of the faith, sometimes all it takes is that you don't go over the edge of the cliff with the rest of humanity. Sometimes that's all it takes. You just stand your ground and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that because I know that that's wrong. And I'm not going to let a culture or a world pressure me into becoming something that goes against the Bible and the Word of God. 
and you're left standing there while everyone else around you criticizes you and puts you down, and you don't have to say a word. You just stand your ground and you do what's right, and boy, the world will criticize you and tear you apart. And you know what it takes, Christian, to get through times like that? It takes great faith. It takes great faith. We live in a world where homes are divided on their level of dedication toward God and church. Some folks are choosing to only go to church sporadically. And what we need are Christians who say, I'm not going to let my family pull me away from church. I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to do what's right. My friend, I am telling you, I promise you, that if America does not see some sort of great revival, then in the next 20 years or maybe less, we will reach a point where you're either going to be forced to be all in on God or all out on God. There, there won't be anyone who can be casual about their faith. You're either going to be on fire for God or you're going to be cold toward God. You won't get to sit in the middle. And if you are on fire for God... Oh boy, you better have some strong faith because you are going to be anything but popular. My friend, it takes faith to make a choice and to say that all I really care about is not what others think about me. All I really care about is what God thinks about me, is what God thinks about me. And it's high time that beginning right now, we make a choice that we're going to walk by faith and not by sight. You know, when we have faith, we give God the capacity to do something incredible. When we walk by faith, God swoops in and He uses that faith as an avenue to flex His muscles big and strong and show everyone just how mighty He is. Because what happens is God uses our faith to do something so big that there's no way we could get credit for it. He gets all the credit. What is the author of Hebrews trying to do here? He's trying to say, look, you all want to worship these men in the Old Testament and almost make an idol to them as though they are something great. He, uh, the author of Hebrews is saying here, the only thing that made these, th- these men great and some women great, the only thing that made these people great was the fact that they walked by faith and God stepped in their faith and did something mighty through them. Now, I don't want to be guilty of worshiping Moses or Abraham or Abel or, um, uh, or any of these, Gideon or Barak. I don't want to be guilty of man worship toward anybody. But boy, I can step back and say, if God can use that crowd, then I believe if I have faith, God can use me. Amen? God is no respecter of persons. You know what God's looking for? God's not looking for, a, uh, He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. You say, ah, pastor, I just can't. I don't know how. I'm not capable. I'm too uh, introverted or backwards or shy or I don't have any talents and I could never do what you do or I could never do what the missionary in uh, Guyana does. I could never do those things. God is not looking for you to be somebody great. God is looking for you to be available and to walk by faith. And if you will do that, boy, he'll step in and he'll do the rest. When we step out by faith and we do what God is telling us to do, even though sometimes it defies logic, God steps in and works in radical ways when we 
have radical faith. We looked at, number one, last week, faith subdued kingdoms. Faith subdued kingdoms. We looked at faith wrought righteousness. Faith wrought righteousness. We saw how that Samuel stepped in and single-handedly by faith led the nation of Israel to be a country that was reunited in believing in God against paganism. We saw that how David stepped up and said, I will lead this country to walk by faith. We talked about the importance last week of having righteous leadership. We talked about the importance of praying for our leaders, praying for our governor, praying for our senators, praying for those who represent us in the people's house, praying for our mayors, and yes, even praying for our president, praying that God gives our leaders wisdom in order that they would walk by faith. Boy, as Christians, we don't need to be throwing stones at politicians. We need to be on our knees praying that God would move in their hearts, that they would follow Him and do what's right. Number three, we saw that faith obtained Promises, Faith obtained promises. We look briefly at the promise that God gave to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, where he predicted down to the very week that, um, uh, predicted down to the very, to the very year rather, that Jesus would die on the cross and how that came true. And uh, we saw how God, uh, uh, God gave promises to Daniel of greater things yet to come. Let's, uh, let's jump in uh, this evening and let's look at point number four. Faith stopped the mouth of lions. Now, when I, when I uh, uh, give you that point, faith stopped the mouth of lions. Look at verse 33. It says, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions. All right, somebody here help me out. I need the crowd to participate this evening, all right? I've been listening to children scream and holler at the top of their lungs all week. So I know you all can at least grunt out a name, all right? Uh, when you hear the phrase, stop the mouth of lions, who's the first Bible character that comes to mind? Daniel. Who said Daniel? Raise your hand if you said Daniel. Raise your hand if you said a different name. Do you know there are actually four characters in the Bible who stop the mouth of lions? Well, let's look at the first one. The first one is Daniel. The first one I have down on my notes is Daniel. Turn to Daniel chapter 6, and let's look at verse number 10. And let's see how strong Daniel's faith was. Daniel chapter number 6. In verse number 10, listen, for most of you here this evening, you already know the story. Some of you might not. If you've never heard the story before, let me tell you, you are in for a treat. This is an awesome story. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel has been carried away into captivity. Um, uh, he was carried away into captivity by the Babylonians at a young age. They came in and they burnt down the city of Jerusalem and they took away all of the, uh, all of the uh, uh, furniture and all of the uh, uh, dishes and plates that had been in the uh, temple and they carried him away and put him into storage and uh, Daniel lived there and he rose in fame and power within the empire there because he was a smart man and uh, uh, he be, even become part of the government. At this point, the government's been taken over by another group of people, and Darius is now uh, uh, over the top of Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter 6 and look at verse number 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. All right, Pastor, what was signed? What's this about? Well, Daniel was one of three presidents that ruled under the king. 
And Daniel was the favored president to the king. And so please pay attention to the hierarchy. You have the king, King Darius. You have the three presidential positions under him that answer up to the king. And then you had a bunch of men under them that answered to the presidents that answered to the king. Well, Daniel was the chief of the presidents, and he was a foreign-born boy. And uh, at this point, he's an older man, and they don't like Daniel. And so they're looking for a way to trip him up and get rid of him politically so that they can step up into his place. And so they look at Daniel, and they observe his entire life, and they're trying to find a way to get any dirt on him they can. But Daniel, the Bible tells us, was upright in what he did. They couldn't find one smidgen of hypocrisy. So what did they do? They devised a plan to trip him up with his faith. They went to King Darius, and oh, they buttered up King Darius. They said, oh, you are the greatest king that's walking the earth. You're just wonderful. And, you know, King, I think that you should sign a decree that for the next 30 days, nobody can worship anyone but you. Oh, man, they played at Darius's pride and made him feel like he was some big shot. And They wrote up this decree for him, and he took his ring, and he dipped it in ink, and he stamped it into law. Well, they knew what they were doing because Daniel prayed from his window toward Jerusalem three times a day. Now, once Daniel knew that the writing was signed into law, what was Daniel going to do? You know, can I tell you what I would have done? I still would have prayed, but I would have closed my curtain first. How many of you with me this evening? Right? Still praying. But that's not what Daniel did, because Daniel's faith was strong. Daniel knew that those old buzzards were waiting in the bush to catch him praying. But his faith was so strong in God, he opened up his window... And he got on his knees and looked toward his hometown, Jerusalem. And he prayed to the God of Israel, the God of Jerusalem. Look back with me at Daniel chapter 6, verse 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man... Uh, that shall make a petition of any god or uh, man within 30 uh, days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. That was the punishment. If you were caught worshiping anyone but the king, you were going to be thrown into a den of starving, hungry lions. Uh, the king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. So, look, I signed it, it can't be altered. Once it's signed, it's signed. Look at verse 13. Then answered they, And said before the king that Daniel, which is the children of the captivity, of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Now know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statue which the king establisheth may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Let me pause there for just a moment. 
Daniel had been witnessing to Darius. By the way, Daniel had seen Nebuchadnezzar get saved. You go back and read the chapters prior to this. In my opinion, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven someday. Nebuchadnezzar believed on the God of Daniel. And he's an example of a non-Jew who, who believed in the God of the Jews and was converted. And so then uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son would come and have a short uh, reign. And, and, and he would be a party animal. And, and he would be overtaken by King Darius and the Medes and the Persians. And now Daniel is being a witness to King Darius. And notice here the language, thy God, thy God. He's not saying yet my God. He's saying Thy God. Why? Because uh, he knew Daniel's faith was strong. He was impressed with Daniel's faith. And he said, I hope your God is strong enough to deliver thee. I believe God stood up on his throne in heaven right there and flexed his muscles and said, I made those lines. Surely I can stop the mouth of those lines. Let me show you, Darius, just how strong Daniel's uh, God is. Let's pick back up the reading here. Look at verse number 13. Uh, Then answered they and said, uh, that's not where we were. Uh, Where do we leave off there? Thank you, verse 17. I knew Stephen would be right on top of that. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, uh, that the purpose might not be uh, changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed that night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went not from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, look at the question here, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths, uh, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found uh, in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him. Because he believed in his God. By the way, by the way, in the verses to come, the, the king orders these other men who uh, wanted Daniel dead. He orders them thrown into the lions. And guess what? God didn't shut the mouth of the lions for those knuckleheads. God let them have dinner. Amen. Uh, but what did Daniel's faith do? Daniel's faith stopped the mouth of lions. You see here that when we have faith in God, we give God an opportunity, if he so chooses, to step up and flex his muscles and show a lost world who's not yet believed in him that God can, if he so chooses. The faith of Daniel stopped the mouth of lions. Let's look at another example here. The next example is uh, Samson. Turn with me over to Judges chapter number 14. Judges chapter 14 and uh, that is after Deuteronomy and Joshua, and before you get to First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, Judges chapter number fourteen, and we find the story of Samson. He's on his way down uh, from um, uh, from Timnath, or rather, he went down to Timnath uh, to to see his girlfriend, and God had given him an immense amount of strength. And look at verse number 6 of Judges chapter 14. The Bible says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, 
and he rent him. He rent him as he would have rent a kid or, or just a, a small lamb or small goat. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Let's back up a verse here. This won't be on the screen for you all at home, but for those of you that have your Bibles out, look at verse number 5. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyard of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. What did Samson do? He had a young, healthy, strong lion come up on him. This wasn't some old, aged lion that was on its last leg. No, this was a, a lion that was spry and in its youth. And this lion jumped out at Samson as he's walking all by himself. The Bible tells us in verse 6 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and with his bare hands he killed a lion. Now, if you don't think that's impressive, uh, you're, you're skeptical at that being impressive, then let me take you down to the Beardsley Zoo tomorrow and let me lock you in in the lion cage there all by yourself and let me see how you fare. I'm looking around the room, and I'm looking at some men in here that are pretty strong. Uh, I don't think any man in here is capable of taking a lion on and killing it. But through faith, Samson was able to do that. Let's look at another example here. Let's look at David. David, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you're in Judges, that's just one book to the right. 1 Samuel chapter number 17. And here we find uh, uh, David standing before King Saul, verse 34. And he's getting ready to go out and fight uh, Goliath, and he's giving his credentials. He's giving his credentials to um, uh, to um, uh, to King Saul as to why it is he should be allowed to go out and fight the giant. Look at verse thirty-four. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him speaking of the lion, by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Wow. Wow. Now, uh, I've heard the story of David and Goliath told, at, like many of you have, I don't know, a hundred times, two hundred times. And I used to sing a song about it when I was a little boy, about how round and round and round and round and round and round and round. You know the song? And one little stone went up in the air. And the giant came tumbling down. All right, it's a fun little kid song. And you know, when I would hear this story told, it was that David slung the rock and God guided it to the forehead of the giant. How many of you have heard the story told that way? Maybe, right? Maybe. But David had already taken his bare hands and grabbed a lion by the beard and then took his other hand and punched that lion in the face, and knocked it out cold, and then put it in some kind of a chokehold, and snapped its neck. Wow! He was WWE before there was ever WWE. But he was the real deal. 
More like he was MMA before there was MMA. David was the real deal. Now, I want to just say this right here, right now. What was David doing in killing that lion? Was he trying to be a macho man? Was he trying to impress everyone with how strong he was? No. David was by himself in the field. No one around was watching. I am curious to know that if after David killed the lion and the bear, if he didn't just stand there and go, I don't know, right? But maybe that's what I would have done. You know what David was doing? He was protecting his flock. Dads, God has called you to protect your children. He's called you to protect your flock. Moms, I don't have to tell you because you're mama bears, right? I've seen some mama bear claws come out. I've been smacked by a couple of mama bear claws uh, in, in haste where a mom thought I mishandled her kid. Whack! And, I, and then later she had to apologize. She didn't physically hit me, although I wouldn't be surprised that could happen. This mama bear's almost hit me over, you know, getting too rough with her kids. But, uh, uh, but uh, mama bears can come after, right? Uh, but uh, dads, moms, you protect. Husbands, husbands. You protect your family. Listen, God has called the husbands to stand guard over and protect the wives from Satan's attacks. And you know what? When Satan is after your wife and trying to convince her not to go to church or convince her it's okay to watch that show on TV or convince her it's okay to go out over here with her friends and participate in a party lifestyle, God has called the husbands to stand up and say, no. I'm not telling you no in a mean way, but I'm telling you no. God put me in your life to protect you. Or, yes, you are going to get out of bed. And, yes, you are going to go to church. Because I am your husband, and God has called me to protect the flock that he has assigned to me. Why did Daniel, rather, why did David kill the, 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 the lion? Not because he was just trying to flex and show off how much of a, a warrior he was. He did it because he was protecting his sheep. By the way, as your pastor, if I ever come to your house and knock on your door and sit in your living room and tell you something that you don't like to hear, or I have to get a little bit, step on your toes a little bit while I'm preaching, or I have to pull you to the side and say, I'm seeing this in your life and it's not good, please understand, I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking the lion that I appear is trying to hurt you. God has called me to watch over the flock of White Oak Baptist Church. And by God's grace, I'm going to do the best I can. But sometimes, you've got to step up by faith and fight the lions. We see that faith stopped the mouth of lions. We see Daniel. We see Samson. We see David. I have one more. All right? Are you Bible scholars thinking real hard about who the fourth one is? Does anybody have any ideas of who the fourth one is that hasn't already looked ahead at the passage? Does anybody know? Aha, do you know his name? Oh, did you look ahead? You already knew that. Mike's just a walking Bible, this guy. He knew the answer. It's Benaiah. Benaiah. Now, this one I, I found in study. I did not know this. I guess I had read it uh, several times before, but didn't remember. Second Samuel chapter 23, and we'll be quick on this one. Second Samuel chapter number 23, and look at verse number... 20. Now, uh, who knows what book comes before 2 Samuel? You guys got that one down? Judges, right, Brother Ben? 1 Samuel, obviously. 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 30. Now, here in this passage, 
we're given a list of David's mighty men. And I said this at our men's camp out. So if you're at the camp out, I'm looking around. Brother Jake, you were at the camp out. Any any of the rest of you men at the camp out this year? Okay. So just Brother Jake, you'll have to hear this a second time. But I'll be brief. Um, Brother Joe was there. David was a flawed leader. But you know why David was a great leader? Because David had some valiant followers. Too much is put on leadership today. I hear folks say everything rises and falls on leadership. Oh, really? How about Judas? Is it Jesus' fault that Judas didn't make it? That would imply that Jesus wasn't a perfect leader. Jesus was perfect. Now, David was a flawed leader, but David had some men who were valiant. Look at verse number 30. It says there, Beniah, the Pirathonite, Hittai of the brooks of Gash. Now, if you back up to verse number 20, it says, And Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabziel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab, and he went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow. Benaiah heard that David had killed a lion, and Benaiah said, I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to do it in the winter in the snow. All right? I don't know if he threw an ice ball and hit him in the face. I don't know how he did it. But Benaiah killed him a lion and two lion-like type men. This whole chapter is filled with men who are David's elite soldiers. Do you know what makes a church extra special? It's not having some pastor who's just super polished and dynamic. I've seen some churches that have some pastors. Man, they they can uh, they could they they can they can out public speak anyone in the public sphere. Boy, they they're polished, they've got it together. They never have a hair out of place. They never have a stain on their shirt. They never, they, 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 their breath never smells, right? Uh, they never say the wrong thing. Uh, they, they probably spend a couple hundred dollars on their haircut. Uh, and, and, and they, they just, they never stumble. They never stutter. They've got it all down. But boy, their church is never really going anywhere. And then I know churches that have pastors and you look at the church and say, how in the world is the church running that with that guy in charge? And you know Why? Because there's some men in that church who've gotten in and said, I'm not following a man, I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ. That man might be the pastor, he might be the leader that God's given us, and we're going to do our best to hold his hands up and support him, but we're not here to please a man. We are here to please the Lord. Be a mighty man of valor, not for Pastor Lejeune. Because if you put me under a magnifying glass, you're going to find lots of flaws. You put the Lord Jesus Christ under a magnifying glass, you're going to find perfection. And you know what he's called you to do? He's called you to be faithful. He's called you to serve. We need some men. Ladies, I'm thankful for you. And I don't mean to put you down. We need you. And the Lord has a calling in your life, and you are valuable in the sight of God. You are precious in the sight of God. He has a calling for you. He has something for you to do. He can use you, and He's going to reward you someday. But strong churches grow when the men of the community get in, and they get involved, and they lead, and they say, I don't care what the world says. I'm going to stand up and be valiant. 
going to walk by faith. I'm not going to walk by sight. I'm going to walk by faith. Daniel, Samson, David, and Benaiah were mighty men who stopped the mouth of lions. Faith, its power on display. Notice number five. Faith quenched the violence of fire. Go back to verse number 34 of Hebrews chapter number 11. And again, verse 33 begins, who through faith, verse 34, quench the violence of fire. Quench the violence of fire. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter number 3. Here we have another display of a people who stood up to the government, stood up to the man, if you would, stood up to um, uh, a powerful leader who is trying to get them to do wrong. Daniel chapter number 3. Again, the backstory. Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, along with many other peers, were taken captive and led into Babylon from Jerusalem. And most of the boys who were taken into captivity from Jerusalem into Babylon, they just went with the flow and did what they were told. But Daniel, Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they said, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to follow and serve the Lord our God. You know what? The Bible says in Daniel that their spirit was ten times more excellent than any of the other people that were brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Well, these boys were given new names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, Daniel was also given a new name. I believe, off the top of my head, it was Belteshazzar. What was it, Brother Mike? You're the walking Bible. Come on, help me out here. What was Daniel's uh, uh, Babylonian name? Do you know, Stephen? Belteshazzar. Did I get that right? I think that's right. But we know him as Daniel. We know the other three boys by their, uh, by their pagan names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, Daniel quickly rose in the ranks of the government, and many people wonder where Daniel was in the story we're about to read. And my answer is, I don't know because the Bible doesn't say, but my guess is that Daniel, one of two things, either Daniel had risen high enough in power where he was exempt, or two, he was an ambassador on a trip for Nebuchadnezzar and was out of town. So what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He was lifted up in his pride, as many leaders were. And so he ordered to have a golden statue made of him. And this golden statue was huge. It was tall. And once it was done, being constructed and completed, he called in all the people and he said, All right, when the band starts playing, I want you to bow. Bow when you hear the band. You're going to bow to me, the golden statue. And then he lit a fiery furnace and he said, if you don't bow, you're going to fry. You're going to die. You're going to burn. So, you can worship or you can burn. Now, can I just say something here to Nebuchadnezzar? If you've got to threaten people to worship you, they ain't worshiping you. Amen? And um, can I say something to you Christians this evening? If you are going along with the flow of what the world wants, because you're afraid of the punishment of being shunned and not accepted, my friend, you're not, you're not really going along with what the world wants. It's better to take a stand for what you believe. What we need in this world today are some Christians. I'm not saying you need to be mean. 
I'm not saying you need to be unkind. I'm not saying you need to be ornery. But I am saying we need Christians to take a stand for what's right. When everyone else says that right is wrong and wrong is right, you stand up and say, no, right is still right and wrong is still wrong. Marriage is still between one man and one woman for life. Amen? God created marriage. We don't get to change how it's defined. The last time I opened up Genesis chapter 2, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Amen? We don't get to change what marriage is. And that doesn't mean you've got to be mean to Adam and Steve. You meet an Adam and Steve and they're walking around and they're each other's lovers or whatever it is. You show them the grace of God. You show them the love of God. You show them what it means to be a merciful and kind and gracious Christian. But that doesn't mean you have to change what you believe. We need Christians who say, on Sundays I go to church. We need Christians who say that there's stuff on TV I don't watch. We need Christians who will say there are words that will never leave my mouth because it defiles the Lord God and it's corrupt communication proceeding out of my mouth. We need Christians who will be kind when the world is mean. We need Christians who will take a stand, even when everybody else bows. Look with me here at uh, the passage in Daniel chapter number 3. Look at verse number 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thereof he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. All right. So the music starts playing, and the sea of people bow. And there's three guys... And only three guys who are left standing. What a sight. Can you imagine that? Three guys looking out over a sea of people. And like I said, all it takes is that you just refuse to go over the edge of the cliff with all the rest of humanity when they do wrong. They said, nope, we're not going to bow. And three big guards came and put their hands on the nap of their neck and picked them up and drugged them before the king and dropped them before the king and said, these guys refuse to bow. And oh my, Nebuchadnezzar's blood pressure began to rise. The Bible says here that his countenance changed. He got angry. He ordered the person that had the dial of the furnace. He said, turn it up seven times hotter. He said, these Hebrew boys are going to fry. And so let's look here. He's going to give them another chance to change their mind. Verse number 20. Verse 21, rather. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men, oh, rather, verse 22. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and rose up in haste and spake, And said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. 
Great job, guys. Verse 25, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace, and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Look here, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed their, the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow. These three boys go from fighting the peer pressure to bow, to being yanked in front of the king, threatened a second time. And we didn't read the verses, but you know what the three boys said to the king? He said, King, our God is able to keep us from burning. But even if he doesn't stop us from burning, we're still not going to bow. You know what they were saying? Our convictions are not for sale. They're not for sale. We're going to do what's right, even if it means that we have to die. And the king got so upset by that, he had the furnace turned up hotter and threw them in. Now, how sadistic is this? The king went up on a rooftop to look down in the furnace and watch them die. Oh, my goodness. What a sight to behold. Here those three boys are in the furnace, and they're walking around. They're high-fiving. They're chest-bumping. I don't know about all that. But they're just walking around. And then he goes, hey, come here, guard. How many did we throw in there? We threw three, three guys in there, king. Are you sure it was three? Yeah, it was three. There's four of them in there. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. I've asked myself this question every time I've read this story. How did Nebuchadnezzar know who the Son of God was? You know why? You know how he knew? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been witnessing to him, had been telling him about the coming Messiah. That's how he knew. His heart had been tendered and prepared. And he rose up in rebellion and had a gold statue built and ordered everyone to bow. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar ever would have believed if those boys had bowed? How many people are going to end up dying and going to hell because Christians don't have enough faith to take a stand for what they believe? 
You know, the world looks around at you and they might pick on you and belittle you because you talk like a Christian and you walk like a Christian and you act like a Christian and you tell everyone that you are a Christian. They might riddle you. They might call you a holy roller or they might call you a Bible thumper. But let me tell you something. Secretly, many people are impressed because they could never do what you do. You take that stand and God can take something that seems like it's going to be tragic and he can turn it into something that possibly promotes you. What was the best case scenario? The king comes down and he says, Hey boys, come on out. And those three boys came strolling out of that fire as though they were strolling out of a park. They came out and they walked up to the king and the king said, Let me smell your clothes. Not a single stench of, 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 of smoke. Not a single hair burned. He said, How'd you do it, boys? And they said, We didn't do it. Our God did it. And the king said, your God is the real God. Your God is the real God. And here became the turning point for Nebuchadnezzar. And hey, in this particular case, these three boys were even promoted within the government there because they took a stand. Now, I want to be really clear here. And we're going to look at some verses to finish out Hebrews 11 in the next couple of weeks. It doesn't always turn out this way. Sometimes when you take a stand, you're going to lose your job. Sometimes when you take a stand, you might get evicted from where you live. Sometimes when you take a stand, you might get a black eye at school, kids. Sometimes when you take a stand, uh, you, might, you might ostracize yourself from your family. They may disown you. You may be a John Wycliffe that's burnt at the stake, right? Or that type. Sometimes when you take a stand, it doesn't turn out right. But it will never, ever turn out right unless we take a stand. And by faith, we must step up and give God a chance to flex. Not because of us, but He does it through our faith. Christian, are you going to be willing to take a stand for what's right? I, I tell you, if I would have preached a sermon like this five, ten years ago, everyone would have shrugged their shoulders and said, Oh, Pastor, we've got plenty of time. There's plenty of freedom. We don't have anything to worry about. But I'm telling you, if you turn on the news even for five minutes, if you watch the news even for five minutes a day, you can see that the walls are closing in on religious freedom. The walls are closing in on what uh, uh, being a Christian. It's becoming less and less popular to be a Christian. And now is not the time to flee. Now is the time to take a stand and walk by faith. And Christian, let's do it with the right disposition. Let's give God a chance to flex His muscles through our faith. Let's stand together to be dismissed with a word of prayer. Now, that gets us through number seven. Next week, we'll look at the last three examples listed in Hebrews 11 and talk about God's power put on display as we walk by faith.